Let's pray. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for their love. I thank you for their, their faith. I thank you, Lord, that they put their hand to the plow despite the battles and the attacks of the enemy. I thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness toward you and their commitment to serve you, uh, even when things don't seem to go their way. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that they are persevering, that they are enduring, and that they understand, Lord God, that you stand by them. Father, continue to strengthen them, continue to, to help them to resist the enemy and help them, Lord Jesus, to be steadfast in the faith and immovable in the faith, my God. Father, I pray your great blessing be upon them and their families and their children, even through these, these tough times. We pray your protection over their children, Lord God. I pray that your hand of power would keep the enemy away from their children, Lord, particularly the young minds, Lord Jesus, and that you would continue to nurture these young minds through these times and that you would continue to bless the times that the parents have with their kids, Lord. Father, I pray that you would guide us this morning through your word and that you would speak to all of us everything that you want to say, Father. We pray your blessing today in Jesus' name. Amen. We sang a song this morning, um, a very simple song, Awe and, Awe and Wonder, as you can see on the screen. And so I stand in awe and wonder. I stand amazed to know your grace and love and power, and I'm amazed. And I want you to think about this because this is, um, this is something of what, where faith is. This is something of where genuine faith uh, is rooted in. You know, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we talk about what is the fear of the Lord. I want you to consider this for a moment, and I want you to consider this is, this is at the heart of what faith is. Listen to, listen to what the words are saying here. I stand in awe and wonder. I am amazed. I mean, could, could, you, could you have imagined your life being the way it is? Could you have imagined the Lord God Almighty going and leaving the 99 to find you? Could you have imagined that he, with his great power, died on the cross and then declared it is finished so that you can be set free? You know, could you have imagined these things and that you would understand in awe and wonder that you are amazed by what he's done? And then to know his grace, we talk often about this, and his love and his power, I'm amazed. And therein lies, if you like, the, the heart or the root of the fear of the Lord because I believe, brothers and sisters, that the very heart of the fear of the Lord is this idea, this, this, this concept, this belief that he's God and I'm not. I want to say that again. He's God and I'm not. That everything, everything when I think about life and I think about all my abilities and I think of all the things I'm capable of still fall miles short of who God is and what he's capable of. And I think about his word and all the truths in his word and all the temptations to, to, to uh, pick at his word and to think, what am I doing? He's God and I'm not. And when we come to this realisation that in our humanity, and mortality, that he's God, that we fall in a sense, if you like, at, on our knees before his throne and realise, God, you're God. And what is there that is too difficult for you? What is there that is too great for you? Who, who is too hard for you? 
which situation is too um, big for you. And, and, and to come to this comprehension of faith is understanding that he is God and I am not. What a beautiful thing to be able to come to this and to then be able to stand in awe and to stand amazed at his grace, his love, and his power. Praise be, praise be to the almighty God. This morning I want to continue with the passage from Philippians chapter 4. If you've been with us, you know that we've been reading four, uh, sorry, verses 6, 7, and 8. And um, this morning I'd like to um, have, read, read it again, the passage, and then, and then I want to continue, I think we're up to uh, the fourth word in, in the eight things that the Apostle Paul uh, tells us to think about or to meditate on. You know, verses 6 and 7 are the guarding of our minds. Verse 8 is the strengthening of our minds. But I want to thank those this week. There are, there are a bunch of people who text me this week and said, yeah, you know, I'd be interested in a series on, on what the Bible does say about mental health. I think that's good. And God willing, in, in due season, in time, maybe even soon, uh, we can do something something like that. God is good because what I, I love about this, what I love about, well, there's a lot of things I love about the Lord, but what I uh, what I want to share with you this morning is how good God is in that he cares for every part of us, every part of us. He cares for our families, our children, our work, our careers, our future, aspirations, ambitions. He cares about our interests. He cares about our, um, uh, our hobbies. He cares about our, our bodies. He cares about our minds. And he does these things because he just cares. <laughs> God cares, and because he cares, he cares about every aspect of our lives, even the way we think. And the way, I, the way I know God cares about the way I think is because he puts so much of it in the scriptures. He, he, he tells me so much about what I need to think about and what I need to be aware of because he cares about how I think. I mean, look at this, for example. I want you, I want you to consider this verse before we go to Philippians. Look at this verse from Luke. Jesus is saying to, to, when he's sharing, he's saying this. He's saying, consider the ravens or look at the birds. Look, look at the birds. They neither sow and they don't reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn. <laughs> yeah. Look at the birds. They're not working eight hours a day. They haven't got their... Um, retirement plan set, their superannuation perfected. And, and there's, not, there's nothing wrong with retirement plans and superannuation. But he, what he's saying here, look at the birds. They, they, have, they don't um, have storehouse or barn. They don't have an element of them, their, what they gather and they put it aside for a rainy day. He goes, but God feeds them. How beautiful is that? But why did he give them that illustration? Because he then goes on to say, how much more value are you than the birds? So God, who sees you of great value because you're made in his image, takes the time to feed the one who doesn't even set things aside, how much more value are you to him? But his point is this, and which of you by worry can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, how who can worry so much about their life that they're going to guarantee an extra day for themselves? 
they're going to be able to preserve another day. How much can you worry to guarantee yourself another day? Because, because no one can. No one, but the amount of worrying you do can add a day to your life as much as you're worrying and trying to do that. In fact, it might do the opposite to you. Because which of you by worrying can even add a day to your life? If then, he says, you're, you're not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Because you can't even do the least. This is, for God to add a day to your life is the least in God's ability. Yeah, this is, this is the fear of God. This is his God, I'm not. And he goes, this is the least for God. He goes, if, that's, if you can't do what is for the least for God, why are you worried about everything else? Because how much more can God do for you? So he says, don't be anxious. In fact, in Matthew, he even says, don't worry about tomorrow. So he says these things because he's concerned with our faith, because he's concerned with our mind, and he's concerned with our hearts, because he's a God who is sovereign over all things. And God is asking us, inviting us, perhaps even pleading with us, trust me, trust me. This is who I am. This is who I am. Believe in what I say about me. Stand in awe and wonder. Be amazed at who I am. Let the world be ashamed and you be amazed at who I am. Let them mock me, but you trust me. Let them laugh at me, but you believe in me. Perhaps that's why the psalmist says, give to the Lord glory, because that's what we're called to do. And I love that Jesus reassures us. He says, I will look after you. Trust me with everything. Don't, don't go down the path of uh, excuse making, if you like. Don't go down that path. You know, there's so much to think about today. Things in the world that draw our attention. You know, the sadness of what's going on in Afghanistan. Our brothers and sisters that are suffering in that time, but even just the people of Afghanistan, you know, it draws our attention. It can cause us to worry. You know, things like COVID, lockdowns, protests, vaccines, all these things can draw our attention as our media, it's bombarded on our media, the pressures of what to do, what not to do. They're all real pressures that can draw our attention. Now, we've never been a church to be political about these things, and I'm not going to start. But I'm going to say this, brothers and sisters, there's enough pressure outside toward us. Let's not put pressure on each other. Let's not put pressure on each other. Let a brother or sister do whatever their conscience allows. Do, don't do, take, don't take. Don't put pressure on each other. There's all these things that are putting pressure on us from outside already. Let it not come from within. All these things that can draw our attention. Remember back for those who are old enough, do you remember back in 2001, 9-11, what happened then? The whole world went into a panic, drew our attention. The fear of terror, the fear of terrorism, the whole thing that is still uh, is, is, is lingering today draws our attention. And for those who are even a little bit older, do you remember the, um, um, the Y2K bug in 1999? Do you remember that? 
and everyone went into a panic or people were going into a panic. What's going to happen in the year 2000? I found this little passage. Let me read it out to you. People, people were worried the, and some of our young people were thinking, what are you talking about, Y2K, bug? You know, the, the whole idea that in 1999 when, when the whole world system would hit 2000, our whole computer systems would crash and everything else would go pear-shaped. You know, there were, it was basically, I read it out to you, it was featured that all sorts of machines driven were going to be driven haywire. By, by their inability to read dates in the new year. Computer networks that control power, water, and phone systems would freeze. Railroads, airlines, and trucks are idle at dispatch, and traffic safety systems would crash. And the financial universe, from stock markets to payroll systems to automated teller machines, would go on the blink. You know, this, 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 this panic that, oh, no, how are we going to survive because our computers won't cope with the year 2000? You know, and I can imagine many Christians, their hearts would have been drawn to that. But Jesus says, don't be anxious. You've seen, I'm sure, lots of ideas, um, lots of posters and lots of phrases that say things like, you know, most things you worry about never happen. You know, you've probably, said, you've probably seen, you know, 85% of things that, that you worry about never happen or 90% of things that you worry about never happen. And while there's a lot of truth to that and, and people use that as, as a way to encourage and motivate other people, what our nature does is this. It still worries about the 10%. It still says, yeah, but there's 10%. That could happen. And that's our, that's our nature. And Jesus is still calling us not to worry because he cares for our heart, our faith, our minds. He cares for us. Isn't that beautiful? Something that we can stand in awe of him. Philippians, when Paul wrote it, remember I said to you a couple of weeks ago, Philippians, when Paul wrote it, Paul wrote it in prison. So here is a man who is telling us to guard our minds and strengthen our minds in a place where he, his mind could have gone crazy. And perhaps through his own experience and perhaps through his own uh, learning, he was able to teach us something quite significant, that in his darkest moment, his mind could remain steadfast upon the goodness of the Lord. Remember we shared, I shared with you that uh, as in Proverbs, as a man thinks, so is he, because as we think in our hearts, as we ponder things in our hearts, what's going on in our hearts is what really begins to shape us as in our real character. And I think we need to consider these things as we read Philippians again. We need to think about what the Apostle Paul is telling us to do. So for the sake of those who perhaps haven't been with us for the three weeks, I want to read this passage again, and then I'll go straight into verse 8 again. So verses 6 to 7 from Philippians chapter 4, the Bible tells us, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through the one and only Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true and whatever things are noble and whatever things are just and whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. Last week, we looked at true, noble, and just. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but let me just quickly recap a few thoughts. True, noble, and just. When we think about things that are true, 
We are resisting all the lies that come our way, lies about our faith, lies about the word, lies about the Lord, lies about who we are, lies about how we look, lies about our reputation, lies about our status. Whatever, whatever enemy wants to throw at us, we are, we are resisting them. Because remember what the devil's going to do, he's going to think of a lot of creative ways to come to the opposite of these things. And he's going to throw, in this case, lies, because he's going to be very intentional to make sure that you think about things that are not these things. Do you get it? Because if these things strengthen your mind, he wants to weaken your mind. So he will find things that oppose these truths. And he will throw lies at you and he'll want to convince you of these things because if he does, he weakens your mind, he weakens your faith. And so he'll say things like, oh, really? You, you don't look very good today or your faith is really this today or is the word of God really say this? And he'll throw these lies at you. And then you think of Jesus in the wilderness when the devil threw these lies. And he comes, he comes to the word of God and he says that the, to the devil, it is written, it is written that the word of God, the word of God is my hope. And so when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, he was able to come across and say, it is written, thought what is true, things that are true. These are the things that help strengthen our minds. You know, there's a concept I heard this week, the um, author and preacher, Tim Keller, has this concept called defeater beliefs, defeater beliefs. They're beliefs that basically, you know, they're beliefs that people form that no matter what you try and present to them, that they'll use these beliefs to argue against you, even if there's no rationale to it. So, for example, you might say to them, oh, wow, what an amazing creation outside. Look at the wonderful thing God's made. And in their heart, they've already got a defeater belief. And their defeater belief, oh, yeah, but this world evolved. And no matter what you say to them, it's like, yeah, 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 that's good evolution. You know, it, they're not even prepared. They've already placed themselves in a thinking. No matter what you say, they're going to being defeated already. Or you might, you might talk about sin and conscience, and you might talk about how God works with our conscience and God works with sin, and they might say, yeah, yeah, that's just man-made guilt. And, it's this, and no matter what, what rationale you give them or what reason you give them, they've got these defeated beliefs because you say things, but they say, yeah, but. I tell you, brothers and sisters, sometimes in the church, this creeps into the minds of Christians. You might share the word of God with them and they say, yeah, but. How many times have you done that? You read something in the word of God, you see what the word of God says, but you find yourself saying, yeah, but. How many of us are guilty of that? How many of us can honestly say that they have found them saying, yeah, but do you? And that's okay to think and challenge and process. That, that's, that's good. That's healthy. But when it comes to a place where we begin to believe the but, it's dangerous. And so the Bible tells us think on things true. Think on things true. Because Jesus did the same with the devil, but his yeah, but was the opposite. Remember? The devil tells him a lie and Jesus says, yeah, but. God doesn't, man doesn't live by bread alone. And that's the year, but we should have the word of God. Think on things that are true. And then we also looked at things that are um, uh, uh, noble, that things that honor, honorable. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to, to give honor where honor is due. Give honor where honor is due. Think on things that give you, gives honor where honor is due. Don't always look to judge things. There is time for judgment and there is time for honour. 
but give honour where honour is due. You may not agree with everything your leaders do. You may not agree with everything the governments do. You may not agree with everything other people do, but just give honour where honour is due. Rather than have a presupposition that always judges or predisposition that always judges, you're always inclined to judge and be judgmental all the time. Give honour where honour is due. Think on things honourable. And then we looked at the idea of um, just, looking at the justice of God, that when God, this is the standard of God, that God does things and he does it at a particular standard and it's just. I want you to consider for a moment the idea of salvation, that God calls us out of the world, out of darkness, and he puts us in a place of life and he gives us eternal life. This is just. This is the standard of God. God decided that he would come into the world and rescue us. And then what happens, we take what is just, we take what is just, (laughs) and then we begin to complain. But no, think on what is just. It's like the Israelites in the wilderness. They were called out of Egypt. They were brought out of slavery and they were set free. And then they found themselves in the wilderness complaining. They weren't able to keep their minds on what is just. This is the standard of God. This is who God is. God drove us out and their hearts complained. So you think on things that are just because what the enemy is going to do is going to encourage you and incline you to, to begin complaining against the justice of God. Yeah, I know I'm saved, but, you know, this is what's happening. But but think on things just. And then we go into this one, this week's one, things that are, uh, he says, and things that that are actually pure, things that are pure. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Why would the Apostle Paul, just just ponder this with me for a moment, why would the Apostle Paul concern himself with things pure for the sake of strengthening the mind and for the sake of, of, um, of maintaining your peace. <clears throat> it seems a little bit out in regards to it. It's, it's not, but it can, it can present like that. Why would he concern ourselves? Why would we concern ourselves with things pure in order to maintain a peace? Well, I think there's a couple of possibilities. Firstly, just, just look at things pure in general. I mean, anything that we look at that's not pure and that's defiled, <laughs> that's going to damage our soul. Anything that we ponder on and we think about that is defiled, not clean, is going to um, uh, def- damage our soul yeah, because the word pure here is basically undefiled. So anything that we, we look at and we think about in this undefiled, uh, in this defiled unclean way is going to damage our soul. Anything that damages our soul is going to rob us of our peace. Amen? But I also think, and and lockdown is a good example of this, I also think when we begin to lust over a lot of things, not just in sexual nature but in a lot of things, longings, desires, I wish, I want, I'm after, I desire, all these things that we long for, that begins to rob us also of our peace. And I believe what the Apostle Paul may be also saying to us is keep your minds pure. All this lusting and longing and desiring after things that are not of the Lord, 
or, or the things that um, are out of perhaps God's will not only can damage your soul but also rob you of this peace. So he encourages us. He wants you to think about things that are pure. Consider for a moment all your wishes and desires, all your longings and your wants, all your lusts and your and the things you uh, uh, you can't get out of your mind. How many things? How many of those things are, are clean? How many things are unclean? How many things are in the will of God? How many things are out of the will of God? How many things are driven by who you are and or driven by who? God is. And perhaps what he's saying is, you know, the more you do this, the more you keep doing this, uh, the more you weaken your mind because you just keep longing for what is not yours to begin with. It's unclean. It's not right. Keep your minds pure. He then says here, he goes after he talks about pure to keep what is pure, he says, I want you to also think about things that are Lovely. This idea of lovely is the idea of um, it has your it has your affection because it's beautiful. You know, something you look at, you look at a, a beautiful landscape, and you think, "Oh, that is lovely. That has my affect." You, your heart is drawn to it. You see, you see the sunset or the sunrise. You, you, your heart is drawn to this, not out of uh, you know any wrong way, but you see the majesty and the glory of God. Or you read about stories of, of things that have, of, of great work that has been done and, and it draws your attention. This is an affection. This is lovely. And you look at these things or rather you consider these things, you think about these things, and these things are the things that are going to help to strengthen your mind because these things are drawing your attention back to the, to the master and the creator himself. as distinct to what the enemy is going to do? And have you draw your heart and mind to things that are distasteful or disgusting? And what's interesting about our nature, brothers and sisters, is that sometimes we're inclined to want to go after the things that are quite disgusting rather than the things that draw our affection. In the godly, in the proper sense, we are drawn to the things our flesh finds affectionate. We are drawn to things that are really of no taste, of no beauty, of no value. Take Consider gossip for a moment. While we can ponder on things that are lovely and talk to one another about things that are lovely, that are, that are, are, are good affection, Things that are that things that the Lord has His hand behind. We would rather hear the disgusting news of gossip. We would rather have the affection of our flesh drawn to something than the affection of our soul. And the Apostle Paul, I think, is saying, "Hey, you know what? Stop. Why give yourself to things that are distasteful and disgusting? Rather, give yourself to things that are lovely." Think on things that are lovely. Consider things that are of affection to your heart and soul where you see the hand of God behind. Strengthen your mind. Yeah, sure. I might be, uh, 
I might be more accepted if I listen to the latest gossip. I might be more accepted if I if I post the uh, amongst the the inappropriate posting. But I'm not doing anything for my mind. I'm not doing anything for my soul. And then he says this one. This is an interesting one. He says, thinks on things of good report. Think on things of good report. You know, when I think about the Bible, you have all the good report in one book. If God is communicating to us, you know, and God wants to uh, uh, send messages to us, text messages, emails, it's all there in one book. Think on good things of good report. Has someone written about something that is of a good report? Think on these things. The word of God, brothers and sisters, is the good report. The word of God and everything he has to say to us is of good report. And, and, and can I really uh, um, strongly suggest that you do not neglect, do not neglect your own reading and reflecting and meditating and considering of the word of God. Yes, you come to Bible studies, fantastic. I want you to come all the time. Yes, you come to Sundays, fantastic. Wednesdays, fantastic. They're all great things to do, lockdown or no lockdown. But do not do that at the expense and think I've done that and that's enough. Do your own time in the word of God. Think on things that are of good report because you're feeding your soul, your mind, with things of good report. Listen, the reason I say this is because naturally in life we are, we are always hearing all kinds of reports and you need to saturate your heart and mind with good report, things that are good, things that are proper, things that are true. These are the things you need to keep filling your minds with. You know, I don't know about you, but we live in a world today where, where, where there's just constant communication with us about things that are quite um, down and, and negative and, and, and that are hard to hear. I mean, how many of you have notifications that pop up on your phone about the latest COVID numbers and the latest COVID updates and you, you're getting all these notifications from the newspaper or some, some, some um, you know, TV channel? Or you're, hearing, you're constantly getting all this news continually popping up in your face. This is not good report all the time. Now, I'm not telling you again to live in a bubble and not be aware of these things, but I tell you, brothers and sisters, if this is the only thing or if this is the thing that you're constantly, constantly listening to, then for sure you're going to be weakened in your mind. Sometimes you just got to say, enough. I'm not looking at that notification. I'm turning it off, putting my phone away, turning the TV off, not watching the news tonight. Sometimes you just got to do that. And again, I'm not saying all the time, but just sometimes you just got to say enough. Got to pause for a moment. Allow my mind to be refueled by things that are true and of good report. And if you think about the times that you might have become downcast or despaired, and was it on the back of, of exposing yourself to things that perhaps you didn't need to? Thank God we have today the opportunity on our phones to have, you know, how many times people that might have testified to when a verse pops up on your phone, you think, ah, I just needed to hear that. Yeah, good report. Amen. Good report. You get a verse and think, ah, oh, wow, thank you, Lord. This verse, so timely. Good report. They're the notifications you don't want to neglect. 
the Apostle, the Apostle Paul is telling us to think on things of good report. Just be careful. Just be careful. I know we want to be informed, but just be careful. And then he says, I want you to think about things that are virtuous. This is a kind of like a word for excellence, particularly in the moral sense. You know, someone of moral character, you look at someone, you think, oh, that guy's amazing. That girl's amazing. Their, their, their character is of great moral excellence. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but every time I read the story of Jesus, every time I read the life of Jesus, is there anyone, anyone of greater moral excellence than the Son of God? To think on him. Wow, how beautiful is that? To think on things excellent, things of virtue, things of moral excellence. To think on these things and you read the life of Christ, the way he was firm but fair, the way he loved and cared, the way he was truthful yet gentle. All these things about Christ, you look at him and you think, wow, this is my all in all. This is who I want to be. Think on these things. But not only, but but in, but sorry, but and that is beautiful. But brothers and sisters, there's so many other things we can do. You know, you think you read about great men and women of faith in the past, and you think, wow, what an inspiration! Men and women of character, men and women of excellence. You think, wow, these are people read testimonies, people share testimony. You think this is this is incredible. So you, you read and you think about these people. But not only that, your brothers and sisters around you, the people in the church, you look at their lives and think, wow, they are so encouraging. Not to not to to discourage you, but rather inspire you. God hasn't finished working with people back in missionaries 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago. Today, God is working even in your own fellowship, men and women who are being strengthened by the word and by faith, who stand with great moral character, not self-righteousness, but Christ-likeness. Be encouraged. Think on these things. Let your mind be drawn to be inspired and encouraged by this. This is, this is um, allowing us to know that God is working today in a way that has not stopped. We don't look in the past and think, oh, that was, um, that, was that great missionary in the past, that was that great preacher in the past, that was, that was the Apostle Paul or that was Jesus. We don't think like that as Christians today. We don't think that somehow we're in a generation today that we cannot achieve or live the way people lived in the past, as if somehow we have lost it today. God has withdrawn it from us today. No, today we know that the same character of Christ, the same excellence of moral character of Jesus Christ is given to us today by his goodness and grace. And when we trust him, we trust him, we overcome all the things that draw us away from this in order to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Amen. This is the faith. Think on these things. And then think on things that are anything that is praiseworthy. Anything that is praiseworthy worthy. Anything that you know uh, can be commended, things to be thankful for, things to praise him for, things that you look at and you think, wow, look, there's God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And this, doesn't this beautifully tie into what he was saying earlier on when you come and you pray and you bring your supplications before the Lord, that you do it with thanksgiving? Isn't he almost like kind of wrapping it up and saying, you know what, don't forget, Praiseworthy. 
things that you can come in prayer. And even when there's a, a state of a level of anxiety in your heart, you come in prayer and you pray and the supplication and you're remembering, hang on, what can I do to remember to thank him and to praise him even in this prayer? Because even in that prayer, when you come with a heart of thanksgiving or heart of praise, you come in prayer with a heart of hope believing God has not stopped working or God has not come off his throne. This is God. This is God I'm talking to. I stand in awe of him. I stand amazed of him. And even though I come, Lord, bringing these cares before you, I come with a place in my heart of thanksgiving and of praise, things that are praiseworthy because I'm trusting you, God, and I'm believing in you. So when he gives us these things, he asks us to do one thing. He says, now right at the end, meditate on these things. Think about them. Let them uh, uh, dominate your thoughts. Uh, be drawn to them. Be intentional about them. When our nature by default wants to go to things that are not true, not noble, judgmental, critical, complaining, defiled, uh, 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 unjust, uh, uh, all these things, are uh, things that aren't gossip, are not praiseworthy, all these things that are by default our, our minds want to run towards because our flesh cries out for them. And then we say, no, Lord, I come to the cross and I believe what is true. I believe what is noble. I hold on to things that are just. I walk in the things that are of good report. I, I live out the things that are excellent. He says, I want you to meditate on these things. I want you to meditate on this. It's almost like um, it's almost like the Spirit of God, when you're when you're tempted, when you're tempted to think certain things, the Spirit of God is saying, hang on, stop. Have you thought about this? You think, oh yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's what the word of God says. Have you considered this? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, I, I can complain, but look what I've got here. And it's like what the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to meditate on these things. As the Spirit of God, allowing the Spirit of God to reveal these things to you, to prompt you, and as the Spirit of God prompts, to very intentionally and by faith hold on to these things. You know, in summary, it's like this. What I'm saying is this, that you're trusting in all things. You're trusting in the love and in the lordship of Jesus Christ. That in all that goes on, his love never fails you and his lordship, his power never ceases. And that's from that, on that basis of his love and his lordship, I want to, I want to God willing, um, uh, uh, share with you a few verses from Psalm 23 next week. That his love and his lordship means everything where we, we are able to give our minds permission to think on these things. I want to, uh, you've probably heard me say this before, but I want to end with a quote from Abraham Kuyper, who was a theologian early in the last century. And, and it, it's, it's a beautiful thing because it allows us to understand um, that what, what is there in this world? What is there in this world that God doesn't have a say in? that allows us to think, therefore, on things that are good, noble, just, pure, of virtue, praiseworthy, excellence. He says this. Um, he says there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ 
who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Amen. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is our sovereign of all, over all, does not cry, it is mine. We rest in that, in the love and in the lordship of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I pray that, that uh, you can, you will, you will choose to guard your minds and that you will choose to strengthen your minds, that you allow the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me pray for us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord God, for your most precious word, our great report for us. Every word in it is true. And as the devil throws at us lies and um, deceit and uh, all the bad reports that we really should not be entertaining, all the, the garbage and the gossips of life that weakens us, Lord. I pray, Father, that by faith we can believe that your love never changes and your lordship is always the same. So, Father, we come before you and give our all to you and love you, Father, with all our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. Give us strength to do this, Lord, grace upon grace, to continue to walk faithfully before you trusting you in all things, because all things are yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.